Before we get into this episode, we wanted to share with you, lovely listeners, that It's a Continent, the book, is now available for you to pre-order on Amazon and Waterstones. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, and you'll also find out more information on our website, itsacontinent.com. The book will be out in May 2022. Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, And through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hi, thanks for joining us again. It's season four and our second episode. Welcome. Hey, Janine. Hello. Hey, what is good? What's up? Yeah, it's all good. I'm currently regretting getting really thin braids at the moment and having to take it out. So... Ah. Um, yeah, that's the current stage I'm at in my life. Um, okay, yeah. that, that <laughs> is why I stick to my wig heads and enjoy the changes in colour. Yeah, I know I should. I know I should. But you know me, I can't even, I just wouldn't know what I was, I'd be doing. You've got to, to, you got to make it flat, hun. Got to keep it flat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Knowing me, we just end up looking messy. So safer with, with braids on. But then the time, the time is, it is... Yeah. What about you? How are things? Yeah, just, you know, it's summer has finished. So, yeah. Did it even <laughs> <Just> start? <laughs> <laughs> At which point did it start? Please just, tell me, because I can't recall. You know what? I kind of think last summer was better than this. <laughs> so wild. Oh, it definitely, last summer was so good. I bought, I was serious adulting. I bought myself a picnic blanket and we'd go out on picnics and everything. I was just, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Last summer was good. But yeah, yeah. Now I'm like, I don't even have an umbrella and I wish I have one, you know, but we move, yeah. we move. Not going to do a good segue into African pride from this. Cause I was like talking about somewhere where there's lots of rain, but. <laughs> no, well, no, we... <laughs> let's, let's just play the sound. <laughs> yeah. Insert rip. Before we get started, I'd like to share with you my African pride for this week, and it goes to 88-year-old Katrina Essau, a South African woman doing the work to keep her mother tongue alive. That was so difficult for me to say, listeners, right now, so please bear with me. Um, So growing up on a white-owned farm, she was prohibited from speaking the language and so had to learn to speak Afrikaans. And according to studies, is made up of 112 sounds, including 45 clicks, and it is one of the world's oldest languages and last linguistic links we have to the earliest humans. SL is the only fluent speaker of the language, and as part of her mission to keep the language alive, she began teaching it in classrooms. Her students range from the age of three to 19, and in recent years, with the help of linguists, SL has developed educational materials for This year, she released a children's book titled Tortoise and Ostrich. This is the first ever written book in the language. She recently received recognition for her work and expressed that the reason why she does what she does is that other people have their own languages. Why must my language be allowed to die? It must go on. As long as there are people, the language must go on. So yeah, thank you for doing the work at 88. I can't even imagine to have that level of determination and still energy to keep her mother tongue alive is fantastic yeah it just goes to show how important it is to keep languages alive um particularly when we see that she was 
forced to learn Afrikaans instead. And that's part of the whole, because language is just so important to the culture, really, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, like props to her for that. Yeah, definitely. And it's just a good way in terms of just expressing yourself, because my mom always says yeah. this, that in English, she sometimes struggles to freely express herself because the words don't really kind of sink in whereas Mm. when it's your mother tongue it kind of gives you give it a bit more energy especially if you're having a go at someone (laughs) yeah and I feel like with English not that I'm really fluent in other languages but I feel that it is I thought you were gonna say not that I'm fluent in it but no (laughs) (laughs) but it does feel that it it doesn't there's just not enough words to really translate properly like often there's not really a literal translation so things like some proverbs and stuff get lost when you're trying to say it in you know another language we love receiving your suggestions I think we say this like every single time when we're ready and planning for another season or midway through a break and the country we're going to cover today Ethiopia is up there on the list of most requested So here we are retelling a piece of Ethiopian history. We start the story back in 1869, when Italy decided it was time to join the League of Colonizers in Africa. They wanted a slice of what many colonists saw as the African cake, a throwback uh, line from season one's DRC episode with King Leopold II of Belgium. So feel free to listen to that one if you've not. After failing to occupy Tunisia and Egypt, Italy eventually claimed its first slice of Africa, Eritrea, in 1882. Technically, they purchased some land at Asab, a Red Seaport in the southern region of Eritrea, for $43,200 from a guy called Raphael Rubattino, who was an Italian entrepreneur and colonialist at the time. This was land Rubattino had not long before purchased for $9,440. Wait, so wait, <laughs> this is less than a, a house deposit, yeah? <laughs> and my man is buying land. He's buying As land. in country. Mm-hmm. Land that he then sells to his own country. So that's, yeah, that's wild. Four or five times what he paid for. Made, flipped a profit as well. I hope he hasn't got a statue, is all I'm saying. Oh yeah, I didn't Google, I'm actually going to Google that. <laughs> <laughs> He's the kind down. of person you know people have put a statue up like yeah it was a cracking entrepreneur and you're like yeah. mm. he gave back <laughs> problematic it's important to note that Italy's claim over Eritrea only became officially recognized in 1890 after countries like Ethiopia openly recognized it this was very much the beginning of Italy turning the hopes of building a second Roman empire into a reality yeah, shout out that nostalgia for European empires still existing in the 19th century, you know, mm-hmm. um, a bit like today and the infatuation with the British Empire for some reason. Definitely. They just wanted their own. They're like, well, everyone's having it and we're late to the game. So it's got to be our turn. Everyone else is doing it, you know. Yeah. You've got to do what you've got to do. Italy also had its sights set on neighbouring Ethiopia. During the outrageous Berlin conference, Italy received Ethiopia. Now, received, quote unquote, of course. All they had to do was remove any current government and occupy their so-called prize. So, again, this isn't really a country that Italy received as a reward for doing anything in particular. It was an illegal occupation, but isn't that essentially what colonialism was? Colonialism, hands down. (laughs) Just, here you go. It's not done anything for it. It is a country. It has a government. It has people in it, but it's yours. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. Basically. 
So Italy expected to just walk into Ethiopia and claim it as their own. They made several attempts at occupying the country, but with little success, as Ethiopians already had a reputation for being good fighters and held on. Italy saw an opportunity during a change in leadership in Ethiopia, when Emperor Johannes IV died in battle. He was then replaced by Emperor Menelik II, born Salhe Miriam, in 1889. Menelik II and the Italians appeared to have a good relationship, and both parties agreed to sign a treaty of friendship called the Treaty of Wichale. Wichale is the name of the town in which the treaty was signed. The treaty covered many things, from Ethiopia openly confirming its recognition of Italy's claim over Eritrea, to Italy providing Ethiopia with a loan. And what should have been a simple treaty signed by two parties became an act that set alight their friendship. But before we get into that, let's talk about why the treaty's signing quickly turned problematic. There were two versions of the treaty, one in Italian and one in Amharic. Now, Amharic is one of the main languages spoken in Ethiopia. The tricky part of the treaty was under Article 17. In the Italian version, it stated that Ethiopia was under Italy's control as one of its protectorate. But in the Amharic version, Ethiopia remained an independent state. So based on their own text, the Italians proclaimed a protectorate over Ethiopia. I'm sorry, this is like clearly illegal. How can you have a contract? And it's like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So it's, it's a language and that's you the specific. <laughs> that's the specific bit you choose to mistranslate. Yeah. Like, I just, <laughs> just so happens that. It just, yeah. It, yeah, it just goes to show how desperate Italy was to have its own African empire. They were willing to, you know, they've been trying, made attempts, but they just weren't getting through the Ethiopian army. And now they're like, well, let's sign a treaty of friendship and make sure we write in there what exactly we want in the Italian version. And hey, we don't speak uh, Amharic, so why not? What's so wild is that, like, when you think about Britain and how they did these treaties, which are just, like, coded for, I'm taking your country. Yep. They wrote it in, like, English, and they knew that perhaps chiefs didn't necessarily understand. Like, Britain has a history of some treaties that are written in English deliberately. But these guys actually translated it into the language and made it, like... <laughs> <laughs> They made it seem like everything was calm, but... At which point would they be like, obviously, if you've written into the contract that you're not ours, you're obviously going to be shouting that out at the rooftops. Do they just think Ethiopians would just be like, well, that's it then, isn't it? We've signed it, um, so that's it. They've said we're theirs and we're we're now um, Italian, so... What? (laughs) Yeah, this is the first that I've seen this sort of thing. It is just absolute madness. Yeah, Italians were definitely not kind of missing from history. Emperor Menelik II's wife, Tetu Betul, was a huge influence on her husband's decision-making. She was always a consultant when it came to difficult decisions and was key in galvanising the emperor to stand up against the Italians, as she was understandably suspicious of European intent. She even tore up the Treaty of Uccale and held a strong stance against the Italians. One interesting fact about Betul is that whilst her husband would often delay his response to difficult situations, she was the opposite. Menelik would use this to his advantage by getting his wife to say no for him in these awkward conversations when he didn't want to offend people. So yeah, I could really use with, uh, with one of those, really, just a risky text, risky email and bounce, really, isn't it? The bit when you send a risky text and you actually run away from your phone like it didn't happen. <laughs> Do not 
stand by. <laughs> yeah. We've all done it. You've all done it. We've all done it. <laughs> We've all been there. And I'm also thinking, like, you are going to return to your phone, though. Like, you're not going to, you know. If you put it on Do Not Disturb, you don't see it. It's all right. Yeah. It's all good. It no longer exists. That message is gone. Yeah. Emperor Manelik was furious about being blindsided and deceived. He made it clear in a letter addressed to the King of Italy following the Article 17 scandal, stating, When I made the treaty of friendship with Italy, in order that our secrets be guarded and that our understanding should not be spoiled, I said that because of our friendship and our affairs in Europe might be carried on with the aid of the sovereign of Italy. But I have not made any treaty which obliges me to do so, and today I am not the man to accept it. That one independent power does not seek the aid of another to carry on its affairs, your majesty understands well. He was coming out here with all of the information, like, this was purely a friendship, we're not going beyond that, you're not owning us, goodbye. To further highlight how serious he was, he began repaying the loan and began to prepare his nation for a potential war. In a speech to his people, he stated, Enemies have now come upon us to ruin the country and to change our religion. Our enemies have begun the affair by advancing and digging into the country like moles. With the help of God, I will not deliver up my country to them. Today, you who are strong, give me your strength. And you who are weak, help me by prayer. This guy was just like, you're not going to disrespect me like this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're not going to disrespect my country like this. I just... He knew the, he knew the mm-hmm. game. I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready for you guys. This is like the calmest form of war declaration, really. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Normally people just go in there. Yeah. But he was like, I will give you a warning and then you will see me retaliate. <laughs> yeah. The ramification of the Treaty of Uchale began in December 1895 and the build-up led to the Battle of Adwa, which took place on March the 1st, 1896. The battle involved a clash between Italian and Ethiopian forces and Tetu Betul marched north with the troops. The Italians were outnumbered and outwitted by the Ethiopian army, whom, once again, they had underestimated. Italy was highly unprepared. In historical accounts, it's estimated that Italy showed up with an army of 14,500, whilst Ethiopia had 100,000. Do you think it was racismo that, that made them go in there with fewer? <laughs> They're like, we don't need that many. It's only Ethiopia. It's only the, yeah. Calm down. <laughs> you know, we, just, we, don't, even, we don't even need 20,000. It's chilled. They won't have that many people. Imagine that. That was just like, <laughs> I'd be petrified. Yeah. I love the hubris. There was no other option for Italy than to retreat and call it quits. And Ethiopia's victory was not only a significant blow to Italy, but it shocked Europe as they weren't used to being defeated in this way. This event truly put Ethiopia on the map as a dominant and powerful nation. And this is the most significant victory for African people against European conquest, as it secured Ethiopia's national sovereignty. On October the 26th, 1896, Ethiopia was recognised as an independent state by Italy and other European countries. So, yeah, if you think, if you look at the map and like how everything, you know, you see the Berlin Conference and everything else is divided up. It's really Ethiopia and some people say Liberia, but technically Liberia was colonised by the American Colonization Society, you know, the, the ACS, that's not really an ACS. ACS. <laughs> yeah. yeah, make sure you go into that because that one was 
interesting. <laughs> that was an interesting story, which we covered back in season one. But yeah, Ethiopia remains, um, has that unique position on the continent. And the anniversary of the Battle of Adwa is commemorated as an Ethiopian national holiday every year. And this year, 2021, saw the 125th anniversary of the victory. But yeah, don't get it twisted. There are accounts of Africans defeating Europeans in battles during the 19th century, despite it not being widely mentioned, despite us having to go into a lot of... A lot of... It's like JSTOR. A lot of, yeah, guys, a lot of journals that we get through to find this sort of content, because, yeah... It's not something they're covering out here every day or your classic history lesson is going to cover for you so no definitely not um and obviously we see the outcome more often than not they didn't but shout out to uh Kima Shui Shui from Lesotho for defeating the British on multiple occasions which is why it's a country within a country and yep there is more of that in the book which we are now plugging with our chest yeah book book it's coming guys there are some yeah it's exciting it's coming home <laughs> it's, it's, it's coming to you all yeah. you would think that after the scandal and war created by the signing of the treaty of Buchale, neither ethiopia nor italy would sign another treaty with each other again however in october 1896 the same year that the battle of adwa took place both parties signed the treaty of addis ababa which overrode the first treaty and was very much focused on Italy openly recognising Ethiopia as an independent state. Addis Ababa is also the name of Ethiopia's capital city. And following the signing of this new treaty, the French and British followed suit and went on to sign treaties of friendship with the emperor. They, they really meant the friendship this time. I think they were just shook, to be honest. Yeah. These treaties of friendship... <laughs> They were just like, oh, well, yeah, you guys defeated us. So we actually really want to be your friends now. <laughs> Keep your friends close and, you know, enemies close and all that. Indeed. Let's talk a little bit more about Emperor Menelik II, who was very much a strong leader. And his successes, particularly in beating Italy, placed him and the country on centre stage. In addition, he was known for building a solid and well-equipped army and investing in the country's overall development. An example of this is his investment in education. In 1908, he founded the first modern school in the country, the Menelik II School. Why not just name the school after yourself? I probably do the same thing. <laughs> I honestly, I know it sounds terrible, but people are like, oh no, 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 it's gonna be cool. I would have a statue and just hope that no one finds a reason to pull it down. Students learn not only their mother tongue, but also other European languages. He was focused on educating the future of his nation and ensured that they were ready for a modern world by being well-educated and also well-traveled. So some of these young people would spend time in Europe and lots of Russia as well. And investments were also made in the country's infrastructure and healthcare system. So this kind of goes to show that you don't need colonization to to do these things for you really do you nope you can do it yourself <laughs> diy called owning your own country you know leading it <laughs> yeah must be nice this is very much like a semblance of if africans were just left alone some of the things we would have been able to achieve you know in countries like ethiopia in terms of just the investment he was able to make within the country 
there wasn't a need to re-civilize um, as Europeans like to have put it back then um, the continent mm-hmm. and so during my research into kind of this and the topic of Ethiopia an interesting question gets explored around whether the emperor's approach was inspired by imperialism. An example of this is the Treaty of Vucale, where they accepted Italy's colonization of Eritrea. And also during that time, Ethiopia had expanded its territory within the continent. I do think, kind of when I've been looking at arguments around this, it's too simplistic to view it as purely some form of, you know, Ethiopian imperialism. I think that's just like a throwaway comment, because we've got to understand that you know, the emperor was doing all of this at a time where Europe was just ripping through the continent in a very hostile and, you know, deadly takeover. And I kind of see it in my mind in two ways. One, he saw kind of the extension, expansion of his territory as an opportunity to grow and copy what the Europeans were doing. Or the other side is, was this his way of protecting himself and his people and really showing that he had some teeth, you know, being utilizing it to show that he could hold his own so then nobody else, no other European country could come in like Italy and just think, right, I'm here, boom, please leave, you know? So, yeah, I guess you could say that um, expansionism was quite a common thing within pre-colonial yeah. times, but also post um on the continent as we covered within the Somalia episode last season um, mm. they were looking at expanding within the Ogaden region for example so that's like a form of sort of imperialism if you were then looking to expand um, and in a sense it's like should we really attribute the idea of expansionism to Europe because attaining more land isn't exclusively European and before colonization I'm sure that many of the sort of ethnic groups within the continent would have been doing this anyway yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Um, But then if you look at it from the Eritrean point of view, um, the Eritrean War of Independence was an armed conflict that lasted for 30 years. So obviously I'm not inserting myself into this beef because there is probably still um, a lot of animosity between the two states. So it kind of goes to show that further down the line, this action that Ethiopia did at the time has led to instability and lives lost as a consequence. Um, And also the Eritreans have an independence day, which is May the 24th, 1991, which is the day that Eritrea marks the nation's independence from Ethiopia. And it took until 2018 for Ethiopia's prime minister, Abiy Ahmed, and Eritrea's president, Isaias Afuraki, to sign a peace agreement, bringing in a new era of improved relations for the two countries. So, yeah, long term consequences of expansionism. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. I fully agree with that. I think it's um, interesting. And I don't think, as you said, it's not exclusive to Europe, obviously, at the time. Yeah. They were, it was an element. You didn't consider that country as being, it was your kind of enemy in a sense. So yeah. you would just expand and take over. Um, completely um, agree with you on that. In 1908, the emperor passed away, having successfully maintained Ethiopia as an independent nation amongst the chaos that was the scramble for Africa. So that is the story of Ethiopia and how it was able to remain an independent state amongst everything else that was going on in the continent. And yeah, the kind of people involved in that story. So yeah, really enjoyed that one. 
yeah, yeah, it's good to see another side to the story, albeit sadly in the minority, but um, <laughs> it is good to see like, what happened. And also the audacity of the Italians with the whole contract flipping thing. Um, I don't think Definitely. <laughs> I want to kind of hear more stories like this of countries which we normally don't pull up or maybe because they're stories, they're just not out there as much. You know, we get the likes of Britain and France, but Italy, you shocked me. You shocked yeah. me. Uh, but yeah (laughs) we hope to shock you guys as well (laughs) (laughs) but you're equally as shocked as we are as shocked as we are definitely definitely that is us done and covered with ethiopia we will see you guys in two weeks time where we are where are we off to we are in uganda i sound really unsure but we are in uganda (laughs) we're definitely in uganda (laughs) <laughs> we're definitely in uganda okay we're i feel like chini is probably like 80 percent sure we we're are. in uganda we are in uganda we've got a two-parter so yeah we'll be covering uganda but not the obvious story so so we'll see you in two weeks time bye bye <laughs>